So do you find yourself being more sensitive when compared to your friends or family? Does your environment sometimes stress you out? Do you feel that there's some kind of a noise in your life? Well, if you do, then I'm here to tell you that you have a sensitive soul. And today I've bought on someone highly sensitive herself who's here to show you that being sensitive is your superpower. Today on the show, I have a medical doctor, best-selling author, speaker. She leads workshops and is an energy healer and the founder of the Academy of Life Medicine. She also has a degree in biochemistry, which is an area of my interest. And she's been an assistant professor in UCLA. Dr. Karen Khan, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, CJ. I'm so honored to be here. I'm so honored to have you on my show today, doctor. So when I look at your profile, you've got an impressive background in terms of education. But talk to me about your journey post-education. Have you faced any medical issues or any problems mm-hmm. as a medical doctor or um, or you never yeah, get definitely. sick? <laughs> well, you know, since I was always a highly sensitive person, but didn't really honor that growing up because I wanted to be like everyone else. I wanted to be normal. I wanted to be tough. I wanted to be like... Woo, superhero, mm-hmm. you know, I've loved superhero movies since I was really, really young. Um, so I kept trying to be who I was not. And uh, throughout my journey, you know, going to school, I was a high achiever. So trying to get top of the class, A pluses, you know, scholarships, the whole bit. And um, after medical school, um, I didn't really realize how burnt out my body was because as you can imagine in medical school, we, you know, go days on end without sleep, you know, mm-hmm. um, being on call and seeing very, very stressful situations, seeing people die and, and be incredibly sick. So I, I didn't realize that as a sensitive person that I was kind of absorbing all of that, um, really feeling, you know, all of that stress and that pain of other people's stuff and didn't really know that, um, I was still holding it on to my, you know, in my body. So my physical body finally kind of burnt out and I had developed chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, autoimmune diseases, multiple chemical sensitivities, EMF sensitivities. I basically was depressed and miserable. In fact, I was so bad. um, I felt like I wanted to kill myself and, um, and I couldn't imagine like, you know, I, I thought that, you know, patients that had this kind of thing just didn't try hard enough. But then I realized when I got it that I was trying as hard as I could and I was not healthy and not better. And one night I just, you know, sobbing myself to sleep uh, so many nights previous to that. And I just heard a quiet voice. It was my own voice, but it was like a quiet voice that said, you have a choice. Just very nonchalant, very neutral, (laughs) no emotion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was kind of arguing with myself and said, no, I don't have a choice. I have to do this and that and this. And then it kept repeating, no, you have a choice. And so I thought, well, if I did have a choice, what would I do? And at that point in time, I really needed to divorce my then husband, Uh, not because he was a bad person or anything like that, but it's just that it was really stressing me out not to be who I was and just trying to please everyone. I really need to be alone. And so that was the really start, uh, amazing start of a a incredible journey, CJ, of my life. Um, We call that in the spiritual circles, the dark night of the soul where everything falls apart. Everything's chaotic. You know, I was in debt. I was sick. I was in partial disability. Um, but that was the beginning of uh, a beautiful healing process. What steps did you take to heal yourself? Did you enroll in a course? Did you sit by yourself in silence and try to meditate on it? Like, how did you progress from having that voice into what you are today? That is a great question. Well, uh, I can definitely tell you I was not good at meditation and still I'm not. I have my own ways of, of connecting. Uh, so meditation was not something that I was very good at. I was very much a doer. Um, and I think that, you know, what got to that point was that um, I had been always, in, as a sense of soul, this is very natural, always interested in reading like self-help books, spiritual books, you know, that kind of thing. And And so it seemed to me that once I made that commitment, um, I didn't realize it was commitment at the time, but the commitment to, okay, if I did have a choice, what would I do? You know, and just even entertain that in my mind, because I was very black and white back then. You know, I was like, divorce is wrong. It's bad. It's evil. Never do that. You know, like, and so when I entertained the thought that maybe possibly I could make a choice 
that maybe would make me happy and not everybody else, um, then it seemed like I was attracting um, different teachers, uh, different courses. And yeah, so I, I ended up finding a, um, a Reiki master in town and started taking classes with her and started getting energy healing from her. And she has wonderful insight. Um, and she's, you know, I talk about her, Pat, her name is Pat, I talk about her in my book, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, about how she helped me transform this, uh, this illness. And um, then I also went to the Omega Institute and uh, found a, a, a beautiful teacher, uh, Yana Van Zandt is her name, cried, I think, the whole weekend. <laughs> it was that powerful. And I really came home understanding. And it, that, that workshop was called um, Giving from a Full Cup. And I really understood that I was depleting myself and sacrificing myself for what I thought was for the better good of others. But that I understood that there is no way that I can help others the best I can if I'm in this state of lack and loss and, you know, um, not being healthy. I was just pretending. So it really, mm. it really rocked me to my core. And from that point on, I started rebuilding my life and being more truthful and authentic and um, saying no, which is really hard. <laughs> for and you've done so right well for yourself. I really respect you for that. Thank you. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a hard journey, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because um, I think the spirit really needed to kind of knock me on my butt <laughs> uh, to, to convince me to um, really follow my divine path because I, I was very religious growing up. So I thought, you know, um, you know, doing my divine path was basically following all the rules, you know, that mm -hmm. church and society and parents said I should do. And, but I wasn't happy. I was miserable, but I didn't really admit that I was miserable. So that was the problem. So I needed the illness at the time to Make you realize. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The universe conspired, if you will. Uh, I call it the angelic two by four. So, so here in America, you know, two by four in beams, you know, the construction workers use it. And, and mm -hmm. um, if you slap, get, you know, uh, the side of the head with it, you'll get knocked out. But um, usually how our angelic, you know, helpers, God source, however people talk about it. Um, they kind of knock on the door gently to give you a hint. Hey, you're going the wrong way. This isn't what's aligned for you. This isn't you, you know. And then if we don't answer that uh, knock, then they knock louder. Hey, hey, no, 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 no. Wrong way, wrong way, right? Mm -hmm. And they knock louder. Well, I wasn't listening to anything. I was just going way too fast, really down this rabbit hole of this is the way life should be. But I was unhappy. And then finally, it was like the angel said, hey, let's get the two by four because Dr. Karen's not really listening. It's about time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the good thing yeah. is you didn't get knocked off too hard. Yeah. And according to one of these researches that you've cited in your book, it says that more than 30% of us are sensitive. Now, 30% is a big number. Mm -hmm. Do you see any commonalities between these groups of sensitive people? You spoke about religion. So things like race, religion, background, does this influence how sensitive people are or is it the culture or the beliefs? Like if you were raised in a culture that believes in the supernatural or various entities or let's say energies, does that, um, does that make you more sensitive to them? Uh, great question. You know, I, I have um, done healings, uh, gosh, thousands and thousands of healings uh, for clients, people, students all over the world. And um, the one thing is clear for me is that being a highly sensitive person or sensitive soul, that doesn't doesn't really matter where you come from, you know, what culture, how you grew up, or your parents, or anything like that. Like it seems to be spread all over the world. Now that being said, it doesn't necessarily mean that the culture is open <laughs> to the concept uh, or that it even exists. So there's a difference. Like you know that 30%. I mean, you know, it's just the latest study. Um, however. I, I believe that there are highly sensitive people in certain cultures where they don't really get it or they don't really think that's a thing. Whereas, for example, in, um, in North America, um, things are being a little bit more open, which is why the researchers, you know, are from here, but um, they're, they're more open. So they're asking these sorts of questions, but there is a characteristic of the highly sensitive souls that I work with that is very clear. When these children grow up, 
or as they grow up, they tend to be ones that um, like that they're they feel different from the other kids. Like they either cry very easily, um, they feel sad for other people easily. Um, some people feel they're re rebellious uh, because they question authority and they question like, why do I have to do that? That doesn't make sense, right? Like they'll see, for example, I'll just give you an American example. Um, so they'll see, for example, their parents watching um, the, uh, the presidential debates, you know, on TV, right? And, yep. and in America, you know, being the president is like this big, huge honor, you know, and, and some families really aspire to have, well, my son could be a president or my daughter could be president, you know, that kind of thing. So then, you know, the, the children may see the parents watching the debate and they're seeing these two adults fighting each other on TV, okay, uh, and saying unkind things. And then, you know, the sensitive soul will be like, uh, that doesn't make sense. Why would I want to be like that? Like, why should you even tell me what to do? You know, like they'll understand on some deep level that this doesn't make sense. Like, and so they'll buck the system and they won't like it. Uh, but not all sensitive souls are that rebellious. Some of them really are the really soft ones that really try to fit in. They're quiet. They're loving. They're empathetic. You know, they, they you know, know what people need before they even the other people know what they need. Um, unfortunately, as they grow up, if they're not honored for their sensitivity, they're usually told to buck up, stop being so sensitive, grow a thicker skin. Um, and if they try to be who they're not, which is what I did, they end mm -hmm. up sick, physically sick. They can have autoimmunity, um, more than the average person, at least in my experience, um, multiple chemical sensitivities, fibromyalgia is a typical diagnosis for highly sensitive souls who are burnt out, um, chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic pain. Um, so life can be really, really difficult for these folks because they were never told that they have a gift, if you will of being sensitive and not told how to control it. So they end up suffering from it like I did. When we speak about sensitive souls, one of the most common things which is generally accepted is that sensitive people are emotional. Have you heard that before? Yeah, yeah. I think to some degree that's really true. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, is that not only do they feel their own emotions, they feel other people's emotions. And then it becomes like a deluge of emotional energy. Um, and when they're children, this is really interesting, CJ, what I've noticed is when they're children and um, they are in an uh, atmosphere of stress, whether it be from their parents or teachers or school or other children, whatever it is, what will happen is that all that negative energy, they kind of sponge up and um, they don't have the adult control over their emotions. So what happens is that they they freak out and explode. I can't tell you how many children mm -hmm. I've you know seen come across like that. They they have what they call a quote unquote meltdown. So these kids will just melt down, and then the, all the focus is on what's wrong with the kid. That's what bothers bothers me, right? They're like, what's wrong with this kid? Let's medicate this kid. Let's it's you know, always take the kid's fault. Yeah, right. And what it is is they're just That's sensing all the negative energy around them, and that could be you know, uh, Wi-Fi, you know, that could be pesticides that they're eating. Like it, it could be so many things. And then they, yeah, they explode because they have so much emotional energy pent up from other people. They have not been taught to clear it. They have not been taught to go to center. Um, and, but when they do life is completely 180 degrees different. They do well in school. They thrive. They're happy. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a shame, unfortunately, that that we don't really talk about sensitive children in our regular schools, at least we don't here in America. I like the fact that you mentioned in your books and just right now that children can be sensitive to other forms of energy and chemicals. These can be just the chemicals from food or Wi-Fi. And one more reason that people become sensitive is because these days we have a culture of eating more processed foods. Mm -hmm. We lack sleep. We're looking for constant gratification, which can imbalance neurotransmitters such as dopamine, and it rewires the pleasure pathways in the brain. And as you said, EMF or electromagnetic waves coming out of the phones can also make our cells weak. Now, for someone who's listening and you're like, what is CJ and Dr. Karen talking about? And if you're next to your phone or your laptop, just know that all the time, um, these electronic devices can make you weak on a cellular level. 
by opening up things like voltage-gated calcium channels, which allow for more calcium ions to jump into the cell. And then just, it. Um, I'm trying to remember the right word for it, but um, excitotoxicity is a phenomenon where it, it all these calcium ions are going into the cell and then the cell finally dies. And then people start becoming weak. We've been seeing prevalences of this throughout the world. And Absolutely. it's more in children, right? Children are well, highly sensitive to these. Yeah, children in general are highly sensitive. And, and there's a saying that we have. It's uh, it's not a very nice saying, but it's like, um, you know, they're canaries in the coal mine, meaning that, you know, in a, in a coal mine, if there's, uh, there's a problem with oxygen or, or toxic gases from the coal mine, the canary will die. And if the canary mm-hmm. dies, then the miners know they got to get up, you know, get out of there, right? Because it's dangerous. Um, so our children are kind of like that. Um, now, does it, you know, almost all children are sensitive to some degree, you know, to these sorts of things. But after a while, sometimes their body will just tolerate the or seemingly tolerate the toxins, but it'll show up in other areas. So the highly sensitive people who seem emotional, who have these breakdowns, who have, you know, allergies, multiple you know illnesses, actually, to be honest, they're the ones that are actually manifesting um, open, like expressing what is really going on in their environment. Whereas some people that quote unquote aren't as highly sensitive may not have symptoms, but yet their bodies are still being negatively affected. Like you said, you know, with electromagnetic radiation, like cell phone radiation, Wi-Fi radiation, and it's not, you know, they're, they're not complaining of symptoms, but they could have like cancer down the line, you know, like they don't know because they don't have, they don't even, and, and why, why do some bodies have symptoms and others don't? Well, you know, some people are very gifted in feeling things through their body. I'm one of them. It's called clairsentience. And mm-hmm. um, there are others that are not, they don't feel their body. You know, they don't, they don't, they're not aware, body aware. So if they're not body aware, they're not even realizing that they're being um, toxified, if you will, or, or being damaged. So I think it's really important for us to respect that, yeah, there are things in our environment, like you said, um, you know, EMF, pesticides, herbicides, genetically modified foods, let's go on, that are really harmful for the average human person. And our sen- highly sensitive people having symptoms is really pointing out to us, hey, 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 uh, this is not okay. Let's do something different. Mm-hmm. Very well said. And I think a lot of people should be listening to all these signals that come in um, and then take action as soon as possible to see some changes. Now, you mentioned that some people like yourself can feel things much better than the others. In your book, you also mentioned that there is are people who can um, hear things like clairaudience mm-hmm. and some people who just know things such as clairknowing. And you have one more, which is clairvoyance, which are able to understand people better. Is there anything else that you've come in your practice which was out of the ordinary, like a different kind of superpower? Oh, yeah. So we're talking about, I, I, I like to call them the Claire's. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, different people will have a different uh, dominant Claire, um, at least in my, you know, just personal observation is, um, and sometimes our language will tell us, um, the language that we use will tell us which ones are dominant Claire, like people that say, things like, oh, I see your point. So they may be more clairvoyant. So they're their eyes and vision. Uh, or, you know, if you're very highly clairsentient, you might say, oh, I feel you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that isn't written in stone, but I, I often think that our language gives us away where we are. But there are these talents that are called clairs. Sen- I call them sensing cl- talents. So sensing through the body, through uh, vision, um, through hearing, uh, people, you know, being able to hear angelic voices or demon, demonic voices or, you know, something else. Um, they can hear that uh, through their, you know, physical ears. And sometimes they hear it through internal, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, talk. Just like that one time where I heard, you know, you have a choice, right? That was more clairaudient, but it was internal to me. I didn't feel it external to me. But some people can hear things external to them that other people can't hear. Sort of like dogs. They can hear a dog whistle, right? But humans can't. <laughs> Same sort of thing. Yeah, true. Yeah. And then there's clairessence, which is being able to smell. So, and, and we all have, and the thing is, we all have these talents, but we just all have them developed to a different degree and a different balance of each of them. So 
the clairessence person, you know, who's very clairessence may be able to sense things through smell. So they might walk into a house and, and I'm sure you know what this means, but they'll walk into the house and immediately know there's a mold, a toxic mm -hmm. mold in that house and will walk straight out. <laughs> yep, you know? They're super sensitive to things like these. Yeah. And, and other people are like, I don't, I don't, I don't smell it. You know, um, I've been to potluck parties where, um, you know, I'll eat like a, a nut, you know, energy ball or whatever dessert that somebody made. And I, the first, the first, you know, chew where that nut hits my taste buds, this is Claire Gustin's now or Claire Gustian's. Um, I can tell that it's rancid and I put it down, oh, wow. but everyone else is eating it. And I'm like, really guys, you know, I say to my husband, can't you? <laughs> yeah, you're you the know? Something yeah, else. my mom's really good with with those clairs. Like she'll say to my dad, she's like, "Oh, milk is bad. Don't don't drink it." And dad's like, "Oh, I already drank it." And she goes, "Do it, you know, that's Too bad." Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Claire knowing, of course, is just knowing, and, and everyone wants that Claire, right? Just to know the truth, just to know in your heart of hearts, with no fanfare, no emotion, just know what the true answer is or what's really going on. I mean, that is, you know, that is the ultimate. Everyone wants that. But in addition to those sensing gifts, we actually have more like healing or intuiting gifts as well. Well, intuiting, sensing, very similar, but manifesting gifts. So we could actually use our talents to actually create, you know, a different future. So in the book, as you probably already read, we teach people how to influence the weather in a positive way. It's not going to do yep. something that's harmful. You can't like try to hurt someone with a hurricane. You know what I mean? So yeah. with weather magic, it only whatever happens is happens for the highest and greatest good. So if a hurricane does need to hit a particular area, it will. Uh, but there sometimes we can shift um, the severity of a storm or completely shift course of the storm. We've done that multiple times as a group. I was so fascinated with that after reading yeah. your book. Well, and you know, some of the, some of the storms that we have are amplified or created by a man-made or non, you know, military or, you know, secret military means. So it's interesting how Source God uh, uh, kind of allows us an intervention. Uh, if mm -hmm. it isn't mother nature naturally causing something, uh, then we can actually intervene. There was supposed to be a really, really bad hur uh, hurricane here in our area, which is not even a hurricane area. But the first one hit, I was in, you know, I was in uh, Toronto. I had no idea, no idea, because I didn't watch the news that it hit. I came, when we drove home, our neighbors texted us to say, hey, watch out for the debris on the road. And if you, know, if you have problems, let us know. We'll, we'll guide you around the downed trees and everything. And I said, what the heck happened? She goes, oh, hurricane. I'm like, what, really? You know, and it really devastated this area. Uh, not, you know, people didn't die, thankfully, but but a lot of houses were hit and, and um, a lot of businesses went down and things like that. And so when we heard that the next one was coming, uh, and it was going to be worse than the first, okay, and we saw this humongous storm, you know, on the radar, I'm like, not on my watch, right? So I was like, okay, God, let's do this thing, right? Yeah. So so we um so well the first time I I the first hurricane I have to say I did I did I feel bad about it, but I did move it. Um, it was hit going to hit my friends in Florida, my friends in Florida. So I said, well, let's move this somewhere else, right? But I wasn't very specific in, in what my visualization was. So it ended up hitting me <laughs> or our community. Um, oh. And I was like, okay, next time it came around, I'm like, I'm going to be much more specific. We're going to make it go outside. like As far as so possible. No damage, you know, people saved, yeah. you know, yeah. And so by the time it did come to us, it was just uh, rain. And people were like so relieved so relieved that it wasn't a hurricane um so we've done that multiple multiple times and so these are some really and everybody could do this this is not like special to me as a sensitive soul all these skills can be taught to someone and i think just from what we call the ascension process which is elevating frequencies and vibrations of the planet the average not quote unquote non-sensitive person is becoming more sensitive which is why the percentage of sensitive people seems to have jumped from the 70s uh, you know, 70s, 80s, from 20% to now over 30% of people, which is exciting because we really need to be empathetic with each other. Let's stop, you know, hurting each other. Let's stop. Let's stop hurting each know. other. Let's help yeah. each other. That's the goal. Do you have to step into zero point to do this? Or can you just tell our audience what is the void or zero point? What does this space mean? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, I've never been a great fan of... Um, typical 
meditation because I couldn't sit still for very long. I was always so busy. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, um, I discovered a, a technique from Dr. Frank Kinslow in his book, uh, Secrets to Instant Healing. I like the word instant, which is why I read it, because <laughs> I like fast. And um, he had this technique, uh, and I went into this space uh, of feeling, because I'm very clairsentient. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty easy. And so he encouraged people just to go into that space, which he calls you feeling um, just, you know, for a second at a time, three minutes at a time. I'm like, this is awesome. So I started doing that and started seeing very, very positive changes uh, in my life. Um, and then what I, you know, did some more reading and studying I bought every you know, book that he had. And 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 um, uh, one of my students didn't really understand the instructions. So I because he was also clairsentient, I said, well, look, this is what it feels like in me. I'm just feeling the energy in my body. So uh, let's have you do that now. And he could do that. And he goes, oh, I get it. I can feel that. I feel really peaceful. So what I realized was that, you know, in that space, we could create a different outcome. And, um, and it was very powerful. And um, we talk about stillness. And I was like, well, what is stillness? Well, stillness is what, you know, the quantum physicists have named zero point field, which is a field of infinite possibilities. Um, so in that field, nothing is manifest yet into the physical 3D form, but it's the possibilities of those things. So as we, quote unquote, still our minds, um, now the technique I teach in the book is um, stillness through observing internal movement, stellum. So as we still our minds, we end up connecting to the zero point, which is the creator, if you will. Um, so infinite possibilities. And then from that place, anything that is stressing us out, like negative emotions or even situations, those energies seem to dissipate in the zero point field on its own, as well as us being able to create or affect a positive healing. So do people, you know, con consciously have to go to zero point in order to be clairessent or clairsentient? No, <laughs> a lot of times it's just a natural thing. People can have these skills. However, when we decide that we want to create something that is not already here, then it's very, very helpful um, to have that ability. And everybody has the ability, it's just a matter of attention and practice to get into that zero point field so we can do healing, so we can uh, create a different new reality. It's wonderful for creation. And if you're just in it, uh, even for a few seconds at a time, I call it the auto healing state. Because I've had mm -hmm. several people, once I've taught it to them, they'll come on a healing session with me. We'll do some, you know, um, testing. And as I go down the testing, I notice that their numbers are improving as we go, <laughs> as I'm doing the testing. And what's happening is we put each other, you know, we're both in the zero point field as we're doing the testing. And already things are healing, just being in that space before I do any formal Topican healing or anything. Um, and then... The nice thing about um, what I teach, the Topican healing method for my students, we can actually go back in time and test, well, what was it at the beginning of the session? So say someone's kidneys are, by the time I test, it's like 75% happy, and, and we thought it was a lot lower. Uh, so I said, oh, well, what was it, you know, 10 minutes before we started this call? How happy were your kidneys then? And they might have gotten 40%, you know? Mm -hmm. So in that time span of just in the being state, the kidneys already started to improve. So that's kind of exciting being in that zero point and really using that. That's a God given, um, you know, opportunity or gift for all of us and anyone and everyone can be in that. I completely agree. And I've tried to get into that space multiple times in my meditation session. But then there is this also like a famous saying that you don't have to search for anything outside of you. Every answer or any, every solution that you want is in your consciousness and awareness. And one of the ways to access that divine wisdom is when you're when you sit still and connect to stillness. But what happens is when your life's going upside down, and let's be real here, like what um, we know what have what's happened in 2020, when your life's going upside down, everything is just doesn't seem right. Then sitting still is very difficult because the emotional or the fear center of the brain called the amygdala is so hyperactive. Do you have any advice for people who um, would want to get into that stillness, but they're just hyper aroused or how to calm down that emotional center of the brain? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different techniques that people have used. Um, 
my favorite story, which I mentioned in the book, is about when I was watching a scary movie. And uh, I was definitely hypervigilant because I couldn't, the first time I watched this movie called The Ring, um, the original, was very scary. And I couldn't sleep for three days. I mean, I just, I mean, finally I would fall asleep from exhaustion, but I was so exhausted for three days because I kept seeing those scenes in my mind and I was freaking out. And um, I tried, you know, breathing meditations. I tried, you know, Kundalini yoga. I tried progressive relaxation. You know, I tried mantras. I, there were so many things that I tried and didn't work. And I'm like, oh, forget it. You know, so then, you know, years went by and, and then I saw that they had a sequel. So my husband was like, you got to be kidding me. You're not going to do this again, are you? You know, you didn't sleep for three days. And I said, well, you know, I kind of have to see what happened, right, in that scary movie. So I knew it was going to be scared again, but I thought, you know what, I'm just going to plan for it. So if I'm, you know, can't sleep for three days, it is what it is, right? So sure enough, you know, I it does resolve, uh, but the, the movie was scary and I'm lying in bed wide awake <laughs> and seeing scenes in my mind and my mind is just going. And this is what people are like when they're in a quote unquote state of you know anxiety or hypervigilance and they just can't help it. Their mind is just going, 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 going. And uh, so I thought, well, none of the other techniques helped in the past, you know, to try to relax, to, you know, try to, you know, breathe these extra. I said, you know what? I'm just going to freaking be scared. You know, I'm just going to be scared. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm scared. So I'm just going to be scared. You know, I just decided I'm not going to stop trying to be scared. So what I did was I tuned in to see what my body felt like when it was scared. It was almost like a light switch, like from like almost pushing away what the body felt like by, I, cause I was staying in my mind, seeing the scenes. What I did was I told my mind what to do. So I instructed my mind to look into the body and feel. And so when my mind was busy focusing on my body, I suddenly, it seemed sudden. Okay. I know it sounds funny because obviously I was mm -hmm. scared already, but I, suddenly I noticed that my heartbeat was so big and so fast. It was like, to me, it was like shaking the bed. Like two seconds before, I didn't even notice that. Right. But now that I've turned my attention, turned my mind to see what does it feel like to be scared? Um, I was like, you know, the pulse was big. There's energy rushing down my arms and legs. My whole body felt like it was like, electrified it but the here's the thing instead of trying to turn that off i was like huh interesting you know i was just i was just like observing i was like because i i said i was gonna just be scared right i just made up my mind i'm just gonna be scared you know uh, forget all this other meditation stuff right so i just decided to be scared and would you know it after i'm observing my body I, you know i about 10 minutes later i fell asleep and woke up the next morning i was like whoa what happened and my husband's like, wow, you didn't stay up all night. I said, no. And he says, what did you do? I said, well, actually, I wasn't really doing anything. I was just being. I was just allowing those sensations. So for those people who, you know, are in that hypervigilant state, it can be, it can seem really scary to the mind to feel what you're feeling in your body. But if you actually accept and feel what you feel in your body without judgment, without saying it's bad, I got to get rid of it, you know, which resistance causes persistence then a lot of times those things will start to transform automatically. Um, and, but it, but it does, it does take some faith, you know, to just go into the body and just to feel it because it can be highly uncomfortable temporarily, but the mind stills because it's so focused on the body. And that's the trick is that you're not trying to get rid of the thoughts in your mind or anything like that. Cause that never works. You actually have to be embodied and feel the energy in your body. And so now we can do it. I can do it, you know, talking to you, CJ, like I can feel the energy traveling in my body. Um, there's a sense of calm. And even if I'm excited, I can feel the little spurts of energy going up and down, you know, in my body as I talk to you. So I'm actually doing stillness while I'm talking to you. So we call that stillness on the fly. So people that is something I would definitely have to learn. <laughs> well, you know, the, the parts are really probably already doing it, you know, um, but this time it would just be, you know, tuning that consciousness of it's sort of like doing two things at once um mm -hmm. which people say well it's not good to multitask but but actually it's your attention so it's our attention into our bodies while we are doing something so i gotta tell you this story cj okay because this might be helpful for some people so uh an ex a very practical example of this is uh, so my parents call one day and they're upset over something and in the past when they were upset i would try to be defensive or try to help them or whatever 
you know, cure them, whatever. So they were upset and they thought I was going to be upset at them for what they were saying. So they just said, just hear us out. You know, so they started talking about, you know, whatever. And in the past, like I said, I would be upset because I would want to try to defend myself to what they were saying or accusing me of or whatever. Uh, but this time I thought, no, 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 I'm just going to hear them. I'm going to listen and I'm going to feel what it feels like in my body as I'm listening. So they're talking in you know, what, you know, the, the, the amplitude of what they're saying. And I'm feeling in my body how that's reflected. And as I'm feeling the energy traveling in my body and focusing on that, I could hear what they're saying. I was focused on what they were saying, but I was feeling the body at the same time. And after all that, they were like, are you upset? And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I hear you. You know, and I was able to respond from a place of compassion and peace and not defensiveness. And I thought, wow, this is powerful stuff, you know. So I and think did you get that right on the first time or did it happen over time? Yeah, I just, well, I just, you know, I mean, uh, luckily these days they don't get mad at me that often. But, <laughs> but in that instance, it was like, you know, I'd been practicing, you know, this stillness on the fly for quite a while. So it just, you know, popped into my head. Huh, why don't you do this while they're talking to you and see what happens? And I was like, oh, okay. You know, so the cool thing is, is that here's the other cool thing, CJ, is when people practice the stillness, it doesn't have to be my way, but my way is just easy for people that are go, go, go. So if people practice this and feel their bodies, if they have a situation that is difficult, they don't know what to do, it's a problem what happens is you can bring the problem in to the meditation, if you will, and um, you can just entertain the problem, but then feel your body. So you can imagine yourself in that problem situation and then feel the body. And what happens in that space is that the mind stops thinking because it's so focused on what's going on in the body. And there's like a space, literally a void. And that's when guidance comes in. Now, whether people, you know, believe that it comes from, source or comes from your angels, whatever, your own intuition, doesn't really matter, the label. But what will happen is that the action that is for the highest good <clears throat> will drop into your consciousness. And then you'll sometimes just take action from that space. Like, and I've done it for multiple things. I've done it for even like uh, making money. I decided one day I was going to, you know, uh, book a trip to someplace COVID it didn't work out, but, but I booked a trip, yeah. you know, to, to this place I wanted to go to. And, um, and I thought, well, would really love the money to actually pay for this trip. But I, I knew that, that my passion and, and excitement about going to the trip was that, yep, I should do that. Like I didn't tell myself, no, don't do that. It's not enough money, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I, mm -hmm. I did that. I booked the trip and then I said to the universe, okay, show me the money. <laughs> You're going to help me. You're gonna, you and gave me this inspiration. This is gonna be really fast. Right. And so I just go into stillness. And then I literally like woke up with an idea. I said, Oh, I have this program. I haven't really sold it in years. And I don't know, I'll just make it 50% off. You know, like it was just this idea that popped into my head. And mm -hmm. I ended up, you know, um, just putting an email out as my birthday. I said, Hey, it's my birthday. I want to give you guys, you know, a, a, a deal. And so I ended up, you know, uh paying, like, I think I doubled what I was going to pay for the whole vacation. Um, so that's the really cool thing. That's how we can use stillness in a very positive, influential way. Okay, that's really interesting. And for the audience, if you're listening right now, take some time to be still during the day. It doesn't have to be complicated. According to Dr. Karen, you can do it 10 or 9% of your wake time, and that should also be enough. Now, Dr. Karen, I'm also very interested in the area of longevity, and I'm constantly finding ways to extend human potential and lifespan. In my quest, I've wandered around some of the world's areas called as blue zones. Have you heard of them? Blue zones? Blue zones, yeah. So these are geographical locations such as Okinawa in Japan, Sardinia in Italy, and Ikaria in Greece. And all of these places, people are living an abnormal amount of life past the age of 100. So they're sanitarians, super sanitarians, and these are the people who are walking, cycling, driving. And one of the there are so many common factors when you analyze these groups of people. They eat less, they do a lot of fasting, they take time to chill and relax. But perhaps one of the most important things that all of them believe is to have a purpose in life, which experts think gives them the reason to live, and that's why their bodies are helping them live for so long. You also talk about purpose in your work. 
but you referred to it as your soul's mission. And you have something in the book called the soul mission matrix. Can you briefly elaborate on the soul's mission? Do, does everyone, every soul have a mission or some people mm -hmm. don't and some people do? Yeah, I think it's really interesting about, you know, these different geographical locations. And uh, so I'm sure we're, we're just at the very, very beginning of, of researching and understanding this because, you know, the left brain always wants to understand it logically, you know, um, but I think there's probably a big energetic component of it that we're not going to be able to measure necessarily with the current um, instrumentation or even the, the scientific methods. So I think it's awesome that people are even paying attention to these areas, which is fantastic. And yeah, there's definitely research around purpose. Um, and uh, I, th I think that it's um, very, very true. If people don't, well, everyone, I do believe that everyone has a mission. Um, but um, if people don't feel like they have a purpose, then they're less likely to live as long. Um, which is why even though my father has been diagnosed with uh, kidney cancer and um, uh, very low kidney function from his diabetes and um, heaven for, you know, all, the, all those different medications they give him, which of course mm -hmm. cause kidney issues. Um, but, um, you know, he has this, this dream of, um, you know, uh, archiving and organizing like all the paintings from his father and getting his father's name out there as a famous watercolor artist from China. And, you know, so because he has that purpose, um, he's outliving a lot of his friends who are dying left, right, and center from various different things, you know, strokes, mm -hmm. cancers, all that kind of stuff. So even though he has these diagnoses, he's still going because he doesn't feel he's done yet. And I think that's helpful. Now, in the book, The Soul Mission Matrix, Chapter 6, I think it is, um, helps us to extract each of our what I call foundational soul mission. And it's kind of like an overarching theme for our life. So we have a chart in there and we teach you prior to that in other chapters how to do what I call divine muscle testing and how to be as accurate as possible uh, with yes, no answers. And then you use the matrix to figure out in this timeline, in this lifetime, if you will, um, what is my core or foundational mission? Some people have a being mission, which is to vibrate a frequency. A lot of sensitive souls have that. Uh, I, you know, yesterday I uh, was working with one and she, her being mission was to radiate love. So she didn't have a doing mission. A doing mission is more action oriented. And some people have both. So in her case, um, it didn't matter what she chose to do. She could be a teacher, she could be a healer, she could be a traffic cop, you know, it doesn't really matter. As long as she's beaming out the frequency of love that she's, she would have accomplished her mission. And many, many sensitive souls are here just to anchor in the frequencies of love, joy, peace. Those are the three most common, love, joy, and peace uh, of the being missions. And in the book, there's more, but uh, these are the most common. And then the doing missions are, um, there's some action-oriented uh, words like awakening or learning, or uh, in my case, uh, um, it was protecting. Um, and so that's where I did a lot of work with uh, negative spirits, you know, healing them and um, supporting and protecting Mother Earth, for example, um, energetically. Changing the weather. And then so, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and here's the cool thing is that um, I have been finding, at least with my people that I work with, is, is once they're awakened to their soul mission and they are really being or doing whatever they're supposed to be doing, then a lot of times their soul mission starts to shift and change because they've accomplished it. And this is maybe not as common because most people don't even know why they're here. But when people know why they're here, they can focus on it. And um, sometimes their mission will change because they're done, you know, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, it is surprising. When I was reading about it, I was just so, I was in in a state of like awe and shock at the same time because I never thought of it, never thought of something like this in the first place. So it's it's great that you've written about it and people can have access to that in your book at the same time. I also grew up doing Shaolin Kung Fu. I first, um, when I was growing up, I was kind of obese and I started um, practicing Kung Fu just as a way to defend my, myself against the bullies. And then I practically fell in love with the art and I would practice it for many, um, many hours a day. Then I would go to these 
old um, video libraries and then rent Chinese cassettes without even um, having a subtitle. And for anyone who's listening to this and you're Generation Z and um, you're like, video what? It's a place we used to go out and rent movies before internet and Netflix really became a thing. And two of my um, favorite movie stars were Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. I Woo, yeah. definitely credit a part of my life on and how I've been disciplined to Kung Fu. I've heard you are a fan of a specific kind of Kung Fu called Wing Chun. And again, if people who are listening, they don't know, just go watch a movie called Ip Man. There are like five of them. Tell me why in your live events, your husband tries to attack you with a flying kick. <laughs> and what is Perception Kung Fu? Yeah, Perception Kung Fu is one of the chapters in the book. And uh, so in addition to helping people kind of hone their sensing abilities, intuiting abilities, and manifesting abilities, I think it's really important for people to learn how to practically function in everyday life. So I'm not saying that people are going to be, you know, receiving a flying kick, but but I kind of like in the, so what we do in these um, uh, seminars that we meet in person, it's, it's super fun. People freak out at the beginning, but it's mm-hmm. super fun, is we say, look, um, we usually have a volunteer at one end of the room and, and that volunteer represents the pot of gold or where our goals are, where we want to go, you know, and mm-hmm. then we're at the other end of the room. And then as I, I demonstrate, I walk towards my goal, you know, and then what happens is an obstacle comes in our place. And this often happens. And in fact, once you start to want or go for or commit to a new goal, There has to be an obstacle (laughs) that comes in your way in order to show you a contrast and also for you to grow bigger than the obstacle Mm -hmm. in order to reach your goal. So the obstacle in this case uh, we talk about in Perception Kung Fu is uh, my husband jumps out and, you know, starts doing a flying kick at me and so we we teach the participants okay what are our options here okay what like people are like oh you can block it or he's oh you can run away or you know and those are options we talk about that in the book you know that if you block uh you block you know uh the kick it's sort of like you pushing against an obstacle like my gosh darn it I'm, i'm gonna get through this right with with sheer force and that is an option i'm not saying it's wrong it's just it's an option uh, but there's some downsides to to pushing and forcing, and I've done tons of that in my lifetime. Got burnt out. That's uh, one of the cons of that. The pros of that is that you get pretty darn tough. Like like you do develop a thick skin, if you will. Um, and and uh, when things come your way, you know if they're difficult, you're like, aha, another obstacle. Okay, I'm gonna get this one too, right? But it, it gets pretty tiring. So perception kung fu is not that. So then we give the other option where people say, well, you could avoid it. And I'm like, yeah, avoiding, I could jump back, right, and avoid it. But what we notice is that I'm no, not only no longer closer to my goal, I'm further away from my goal when I do that, when I jump back. So people often will retreat as well. So that is not a viable solution for getting what we say we want by retreating. Perception Kung Fu, on the other hand, is in a physical level, what we do in Wing Chun, which is a, a specific, you know, um, uh, skill set that's common to all parts of Wing Chun is that as the kick is coming to us, we just change our angle. And in fact, we step closer to the opponent, or in this case, the obstacle. So, and if we choose to, we can attack the opponent because now they're facing another direction. They're facing where we were, and now we're facing them. This is sort of like giving a haircut over the phone. You have to kind of imagine this mm-hmm. guy. So, <laughs> and I'm sure um, our audience has a good imagination. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's hilarious because my husband will go at, at it, right? And people are just like, their eyes are like so big, like, oh my gosh, this flying kick's coming. And all I do is just step one step to the side and and turn my body towards him. And then now I can punch, I can do whatever to him. And the kick, the kick has completely missed me. So the point in illustrating that is that whenever an obstacle comes in our life, first of all, expect that it's supposed to be there. It's not a big deal, okay? The second thing is like, instead of trying to resist it or run away from it, why not change your perspective of it? And why not say, well, okay, so it's here. So now what? You know, how how can this be for my highest and greatest good? How can I use this obstacle to, to get to where I want to go? And so in Perception Kung Fu, and, and then when we see it visually, when I step to the side and aim towards my husband, I'm actually a lot closer to the goal, to that person on the other end. 
because I've stepped mm-hmm. towards the obstacle, but I've just angled off so it can't hurt me. <laughs> so, so people really visually can see, oh, okay. Yeah. And then we have them practice that. And, you know, we, we, you know, we get into, you know. So uh, everyone's pulling a flying pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, both my, because my husband and I are trained, right? We know we're not going to hurt somebody. So we go fly and kick at them and they, they do the thing. And they, it's, it's, it's challenging because they're like so scared at the beginning, but then they get it and they're like, oh my God, this is easy. And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> I'd love so to come fun. to one of your events to see that. Oh, it'd be yeah, so fun. Sounds super fun. We have so much fun. We giggle so much. It's so fun. <laughs> Dr. Karen, I truly appreciate the knowledge, the experience, and the healing you've brought to the rest of the world. And thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Now, before you go, I would want you to give one piece of advice, just any one piece of advice to our listeners for today, anything that they can take home. Yeah. Um, The one piece of advice is just to be, because we're trying so hard to have a good life and we see so much chaos going on in the world and, and it can really unsettle us. But if you just focus on being, I know many, many teachers said, be in the moment, be in the moment, be present, right? I didn't understand that until I decided to feel my body. Like, what is my body feeling like in this moment? That's how I became present. Um, in that space, all things start to almost like solve themselves. When we radiate that peace within ourselves, then we actually um, reinforce that peace um, blueprint, if you will, throughout the world. So it behooves us for each of us to be completely 100% responsible for our own minds and bodies and hearts and, and being that space of peace. So that is how we help the world. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank what is the sharing. best way for our audience to find you? Is it through your website? Uh, or... Yeah, so um, I have um, some bonuses that come with the book. So folks can uh, check out. There's a $1,000 of bonuses, including um, energy healing infused uh, uh, videos and MP3s. And when you listen to them, it does energy healing on you. Um, some coaching things. And uh, so from myself and many of my uh, partners, helpers, friends uh, who are, um, you know, wellness leaders. So people can go to sensitivityisyoursuperpower.com. That's the name of the book. Sensitivityisyoursuperpower.com to get a, uh, uh, get access to those bonuses. And then uh, people can always visit me on my website, karencan.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take care. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, CJ. Thanks everyone for listening. Okay.